Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and our executive producer and research assistant, Laura Cordner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington. For the next two hours, we're going to examine time slips. Time shifts or time slips are the sudden, accidental shifting from ordinary reality into the past or future. They are reported by people from every walk of life and from all over the world. You may have heard these reports of people stepping out of normal time and space when the veil of ordinary reality drops and they suddenly slip into the past or future. The shift usually is seamless and unknowing and the account is of experiencing a temporary and accidental form of time travel. Our guest is Von Brashler, who has compiled a book called Time Shifts, Experiences of Slipping into the Past and Future, in which he shares his own experiences, as well as those of many others. We'll hear about the practices of shamans and yoga masters, who use trance-like meditative states to travel outside normal space and time, and we'll explore some theories about what might be happening at these times. You can also try this yourself, because Von Brasner has included step-by-step exercises to prepare you to experience a time shift, and to enhance the experience when you have slipped through time. We'll also check into the scientific support for this phenomenon, as well as the debunking claims that time slips are delusions or remembrances of past lives. Could they be related to energy vortices, black holes, or astral travel? Our guest, Von Brassler, is an award-winning journalist and former faculty member of Omega Institute. He has led workshops throughout the United States and the United Kingdom, a lifetime member of the Theosophical Society. 
He is the author of several books, including Seven Secrets of Time Travel. He lives in St. Paul, Minnesota and San Juan Islands. He first joined us on 21st Century Radio as one of our very first guests way back in 1989. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, Von Brushler. Thank you, Dr. Bob. I didn't think you'd remember back in 1989. Oh, I can still remember. I'm 77 years old. I can remember that. Excellent. <laughs> we, we love that show, by the way. Oh, it's good. I, I'm sure I do, too. Now, my introduction sounds like we're talking about a typical science fiction time travel movie. Tell us how these accounts you present as true are any different from the fictional stories we're familiar with. In other words, just what is a time shift in your definition? Yes. Um, well, this is where you're just walking along, and typically people are typically people are very quiet, and they're very introspective. They're kind of into their own thoughts. In fact, they kind of go into a consciousness shift. Everything gets very still and very quiet. They kind of go deep inside themselves. And usually they're all alone and it's very quiet everywhere around them. And they take one more step. And somehow that step puts them into another space and time. Very often it's the very same place, but it's a different time. They'll be, they'll be uh, typically seeing uh, something from the past or even possibly the future. And this has happened so many times uh, in my own life and people I know um, that I, I, I couldn't shake it. <laughs> and, and I just kind of you know could have put it back there. I mean, I wrote a couple of earlier books on time travel. I tried to examine what might be happening, but I didn't want to get into these time slips. And then every time I would get onto a show, uh, there would be people wanting to tell me their own experiences with time slips. And I thought, well, you know, it doesn't, it's not as infrequent as I think. It happens more and more. In fact, the many people I've spoken to, they'll say, well, I didn't exactly have a time slip or a time shift, but there were a couple of hours I can't account for. Hmm. Or a few, or a few minutes, or suddenly, it was kind of all blank, and then then I was back, and it's like, where was I? What did I do? And if they think about it, they were somewhere, but it was so disorienting they couldn't make heads or tails of it. So for a long time, yes, I didn't want to talk about this because we've all seen the H.G. Wells movie or read the book, uh, The Time Machine. Mm -hmm. What a classic! Yeah. And we've seen the Back to the Future stories, and we've seen the little man who goes into a phone booth. All of these experiences are interesting, but they're, they're missing the point that when you travel in time, it's a shift in consciousness. It's not like you're going to get in your DeLorean and go anywhere, because as... Professor Einstein said, if you travel at the speed of sound, you are able to go back in time or stop time. Mm -hmm. But if you travel at the speed of 
excuse me, the speed of light. If you travel the speed of light, you will turn into pure energy. So you see, it's it's physic it's physically impossible. It's physically impossible, but it but it's but it seems to happen more and more to people who have a consciousness shift. Now, there are many stories of people, not a lot, but a few of people who have actually taken a step and they've gone through a accidental time slip and they seem to be somewhere else. And they seem to be physically somewhere else. Now, I, I've tried to analyze that in the book and there are very interesting possibilities. One is that you are there in a, like an astral body, and in the in the more the more common explanation, I would think, in most of these cases, if you want to break them down, is that nobody can see you when you do this. <laughs> you are in a consciousness body, or a subtle energy body, a mental, emotional, causal you know, subtle energy body. You're there in a consciousness form as pure energy. And, and, and this is entirely possible, entirely possible that our consciousness can travel at the speed of light, of course. Mm -hmm. but, but physically, it's very hard to see this has happened. There are a couple of examples of people that seem to have seem to have actually both uh, in a consciousness body and a physical body moved through time and space and become locked there. And I think I have a, you know, a personal story myself of this happening. There's the story of Rudolf Fence in the 1950s. There are cases like this. I, I try to examine them. Well, could we start with some of the rather amazing stories that uh, involve you personally. Could you tell us your personal experiences with some of these time slips, such as the the one confused 12-year-old boy? Yeah. yeah, you know, for a long time I wouldn't tell this story, Dr. Bob, because people would just look at me like, you poor sad person, you know. <laughs> when you're a little boy, it's like you don't want people thinking you're a little unbalanced. Mm -hmm. And as you get older, you get very defensive, and you really don't want people to think you're mentally unbalanced. That's for sure. Yeah. So you don't say anything about it, anything at all. But, I mean, this is what happened to me when I was 12 years old. Um, I was living um, in Everett, Washington, and um, my friends had this wonderful idea that we'd board this yellow school bus that said berry pickers wanted. <laughs> we didn't really want to pick berries, but we thought this was great fun. <laughs> we all we all piled on the bus and we went out there, and it was great fun. I mean, I picked as many berries as I could eat. Then I went to the river, and I swam until they would blow the horn for the bus to take us all home at night. I wasn't a very good employee, but one day, one day... I got very, very sick, and they said, well, you've eaten too many too many berries. And I said, uh, no, this isn't that kind of a stomach ache. It's really different. It's kind of like in a different place, and it's really deep, deep pain, and I'm really worried. And I tried to get the bus driver to take me home early, but, if, but he would not. Oh, another angel got his wings. <laughs> and anyway, 
So I, I um, tried everything I could think of to, to get home early, and no one would take me. They said, just wait till the end of the day. You could ride home with everyone else. Then I looked out there, and I realized that we had crossed a railroad track to come onto the berry field. And so I, I, I reasoned in a strange sort of way. My mind was probably very numb from my sickness. I reasoned that I could get on those railroad tracks and that they would take me right to my house. And I thought, well, after all, the railroad stops right in, goes right past my house, my front door. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I was probably 20 miles from town, and I didn't really know how I got there. And I, didn't, I couldn't <laughs> describe how to get home. But I, I felt confident that even with all the possible switchbacks, the ra- that railroad track would take me to my house. And so I started to walk. And I started to walk, and I looked back, and people said, come back, come back. You can't be doing this. So then I rounded a corner. I could no longer see them. And I looked into the distant horizon, the railroad tracks going on endlessly for miles. And I took one more step, maybe two, and then suddenly I was in front of my front door. Whoa. And it seemed like it was like late at night. And I stepped down i remember i stepped down off the track which was like seemed higher than the, you know the street level and i walked into the house and i flopped on my mother's bed and then when she came home i said look i'm very sick you've got to take me to the hospital she said oh you'll be fine well she made a few calls and lo and behold yes my appendix had burst oh and i and i got home just I got to the hospital just in time. Well, actually, the the doctor said, let me finish the back nine. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, that's more important than your appendix, of course. Yeah, I've always had an odd thought about that. But, you know, anyway, so, but I didn't want to say anything about this because it was so strange. A year later, I'm in the backyard and I, I just kind of ignore the whole thing, how it happened. Like, I got home. I'm fine. Don't make a big deal about it. Nobody wants to hear your silly story. And I couldn't explain it if I could. I just know I was home, and I, and I was better, and, and the emergency was ended. But I looked out a year later from my backyard, and I looked out at the front of the house, and I realized that the railroad track stopped nowhere near my house. Oh, my. I mean, the railroad stopped at either end of town, but we were in the middle of town. So I couldn't be farther from railroad rail track and be in Everett, Washington. But a year later, two years later, actually, we moved north to Marysville, Washington, at the edge of town. And in fact, th- there, that new house, the railroad tracks did go past our front door. Hmm. So I've always thought that was odd, yeah. and here's a case where I seem to physically be moving um, through time and space, and I didn't return. I stayed into the future, if you will, you know, so I, I sometimes I wonder what happened to that other guy on the tracks. How did he make out? Mm-hmm. Because I made it just fine. Um, 
there aren't many stories like that, but there are stories like that. Usually people are not observed when they travel through uh, through time, like in a time slip. They'll, re- they'll report seeing things, and then as though being invisible, nobody sees them. Mm-hmm. This is more typical. And this is why I say you're, you're traveling in a conscious body, an energy body, which makes perfect sense. I mean, all of us do this all the time. We're always projecting our thoughts somewhere. And, and we're, we're, we're reaching out and, and, and listening to people and touching people. And sometimes we call this telepathy, or we call this like a psychic sense of when someone's thinking of you or you're thinking of them. But when you're on the radio, then you got to stop every now and then to take a break here and have a commercial, which is exactly what we got to do. Our guest is Von Brasler. Now, we got one of his stories of when he was a, a, a boy and became very confused by this experience. Um, but you've had more than one. You've had many. Yeah, I mean, later on, I became a journalist, and I was working in Oregon, and I was walking down the main street of town, and uh, everything just went kind of blank. I remember I started one end of town, and uh, suddenly I was at the other end of town, and I had this vague, kind of dark, shadowy impression that I'd walked through an older town hmm. and and I when I would come to the intersections it would be like kind of muddy and then I would like have to like you know the the boardwalk there would not a cement pavement but a boardwalk it would be uh, higher up than I was used to, to to walking and this this really struck me as odd and, and I didn't know what to think of it and then shortly after that I remember I was working in our newspaper's dark room, and it just all just kind of went, it just disappeared. I mean, the whole dark and the walls disappeared, and I could see the place without any walls. Whoa. And, and, and I don't know how much time actually uh, had passed back in that dark room, but when I when I returned to the stool where I was holding a can of film which I should have been agitating. Well, the I heard that the uh, the alarm, the timer had gone off, and I, and I couldn't tell how long it had, it had been ringing, but I know the film was extremely uh, overdeveloped. And um, I think that a lot of people experience time shifts in this way, actually. They'll, they'll just be a, a, a dark moment where they can't account for time. And, and I think that this explains a whole lot of things that happen to a lot of people in their lives. Um, I think that looking at time in a different way as, 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 you know, a reality that's very close to this common reality, this, this here and now reality, is, um, is probably what we should be thinking about that I think that all time is like operating concurrently. It's like a large conveyor, but we're only focused on one place. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like you're 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 at a river, and it's like you're not on a boat floating down the river. 
you're just like standing on the bank looking at the river go and you're not actually advancing so I don't know if that's a good analysis or not. Sometimes it helps to think of a conveyor belt. It keeps going around and around and around. Mm-hmm. And it comes yeah. back, you know, yeah. so time is kind of like looped. But if if we're only focused on what we call the here and now, there's nothing else because it's all a matter of perception. It's all a matter of where we're focusing our perception. This is all we see. Mm-hmm. We're, on a, we're on a vast iceberg bobbing in the ocean. And we have no concept of what, how deep the iceberg below us is or how tall it is or what's on the other side as we're frozen in place, afraid to move, yeah, frozen in our, our, in our, in our space. And, and we're, we're like that. You know, we, um, anyway, when, it, when this happened to me in Oregon, I, I have to admit I thought that I was really losing it. And I did check myself into the, the local hospital. I went in on a Friday, much against the advice of my doctor who said, avoid hospitals, avoid doctors. Mm-hmm. They can't help you. So I, I said, you know, I'm, I'm here for the weekend. Run all the tests you can think of. You know, my insurance might cover it, but I don't care. We've got to do it. And we did all these tests, and at the end of it, they came in, two nurses and a doctor, and they said, we can find nothing wrong with you. Mm. Mm. Why aren't you taking your medication? Well, they'd given me a pill to go to sleep, a pill to wake up, a pill to feel good during the day, and I collected them all in my drawer next to the Kleenex that I never <laughs> used either. And I said, they're all here for you, doctor. Help yourself. And he said, you're a very bad patient. And I said, well, I just wanted to find out going through every test you could think of, what was wrong with me? And he said, there's nothing wrong with you. So I realized that there must be another explanation. Maybe I did, you know, have a time slip. I've certainly encountered a lot of people. I've interviewed a lot of people and known a lot of people and wrote read about a lot of compelling stories that I would consider to be pretty pretty solid cases for understanding time slips but but most of these people experience an accidental time slip and i was looking for people that actually could do it mm. on purpose yeah, that's right yeah well well we've interviewed uh, author frank joseph on this program previously about his research in the ancient yeah. america and atlantis and you profile many of frank's stories of time shifts in this book, yeah. So, so let's. Could you share some of those stories? Uh, like one time slip in Japan in 1996. Is that was that with him, Frank? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, he had a lot of stories. I think the the stories I like to tell about Frank, if I may, are involves his journey to ancient Troy. <laughs> yes, I, and, yeah. and 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 his Rock Lake adventure in Wisconsin, because these are kind of um, based on some of his writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's places where he investigated. Um, in 1991, Frank Joseph, a good friend of mine who was kind enough to write the uh, foreword for this book, he visited a town in the northern Mediterranean coast, and it was a town associated with. Um, the ancient city of Troy. In fact, they found the city of Troy buried outside the former village of Bakiskov. And this area today 
as in 1991, is a public archaeological zone. But on the day that Frank visited in 1991, the area was deserted. There was just Frank. <laughs> and he thought, huh. So they had the Trojan War was here, and it's like there's nobody here. And it's like it, it was very odd. So well, Frank, he, he, he made the most of the day. He, um, he saw the iconic sloping walls of, that are still there, the graceful columns that you can still see in places. There was a small theater, and he saw early foundations. It's still visible today, all these centuries later. Now, mind you, <laughs> we're talking about the Bronze Age in the, in the Trojan War. So Frank says, he says, I, I, I sat there on the edge of some stone rampart that faced the Aegean Sea and the beach far below. And Frank started reading from the Iliad. I mean, who wouldn't, right? Of course. <laughs> it's perfect. So he starts reading it, yeah. the Iliad. And he said, I was gradually distracted by an unusual sound. Well, he looks around, there's nothing there. There's nobody, and, you know, there's nothing, no animals. But he said this, that it sounded like a wispy, melancholy shepherd's pipe carried on the wind. And he looked around and he tried to figure out where it was. And he could see no signs of life anywhere near there. And he, and he couldn't explain it. Now, I would suggest that Frank is clairaudient, <laughs> for one thing. But I would also suggest that the, the sounds of the past are still lingering. And this is so true. I mean, I've had this, this same sort of experience where you're, you're listening to an old radio show, and it's like, is anyone else hearing this? You know? So then, then Frank, always, always the great explorer, Frank um, did a book on Rock Lake in Wisconsin. Now, he, he goes to Rock Lake in 1996 to um, investigate what he's told are ancient Indian pyramids at the bottom of the lake. Now, Rock Lake is located in Wisconsin between, between Milwaukee and Madison. And Frank goes there with two colleagues who ran the boat. Frank gets in his scuba gear. He goes to the bottom. Well, that's really murky. And when he submerges from the bottom, some distance from the boat, he realized that he had traveled, or the boat had traveled, one or the other, and they were very far apart. And he tried to hear his friends call out to them, but they were so far away they couldn't hear him, and he, could, and, and he, he was out of voice range. Nonetheless, Frank said that he heard group chanting or some kind of group singing in the distant horizon. And as he listened more and more, it got easier to tune it in, as though he was like in his consciousness tuning it in. Hmm. So he, he eventually swam to his friends at the boat. And he said, did you hear the singing or the chanting? And they said, we heard nothing. He said, come on, you heard something. No, they heard nothing. He kept asking them, you, hear, you must have heard something. I heard nothing. So later, when they got out of the boat on land, 
they went to a kind of a gathering that was held later that that evening at Rock Lake. And Frank there met a man who had the same mysterious experience. He heard the chanting, but he was at the other end of the lake. Hmm. And he and he said, I thought I was imagining imagining it because there was no explanation as far as I could tell. So in Frank's mind, he was hearing chantings of the Native Americans of the past who built those pyramids. Mm-hmm. Wow, that makes sense. You know, we interviewed him on a couple of times on Rock Lake, and and um, I I was quite uh, amazed about the as as he got down near the the, the bottom of that Rock Lake that it was uh, so difficult to see things. Yes. Um, and, you know, I would have thought that, uh, well, I'm, I'm naive about this kind of stuff. <laughs> I would have thought that he would be able to, to see all the other aspects of it, but that not, was not necessarily that so. And, um, and I was uh, also fascinated with, with the, um, why he called them pyramids, because I can't recall exactly what shape they were. Do you? Yeah, they were. They were apparently. They really. Uh, they they do have sort of a, a pyramid form. Point of They're not, pyramid not form. large like the uh-huh. pyramids we think of in in in, in Egypt. Yeah. But they're they're of that shape mm-hmm. and um, just at the bottom of the lake. You know, it's it's strange uh, if you get into crypto archaeology as Frank does. The things you'll find in the past and the future kind of like blur. In front of you, he's he's certainly seen a lot of that. Oh, he sure has. Now, other members of your family also have also experienced time shifts, but yeah. and we'll get to that after we take a another break here on Twenty First Century Radio because that's how we pay for the show. Time shifts or slipping into the past and future, and I was noting that you have other members of your family that have experienced uh, time shifts. But that, that's kind of really fortunate because it's great to be able to talk to people in your family about it and not have to hide those kind of things. And it's wonderful. I'm, I'm sure that they can give you uh, some uh, advice on these things. Is that correct? Well, it's, it's, it's fortunate when you uh, have a mother who's experienced the same sort of thing that you... I, I think in the case of my mother's time slip, I was about the only one she could tell. I mean, I was a toddler, and she would tell me this odd story that when she was a girl and she was living on a farm in Hamburg, North Dakota, she stood out on the back porch on a late summer afternoon, and, and these these often seem to happen in the late afternoon and late summer and, and early fall. But, she, but she's standing out there late in the day in the summer, and she looks across to the corral, and she sees a young man opening the door, the gate. And he comes through the gate, and he latches the gate, and he turns around, and takes one step, and then two steps, and then he disappears. And she said that he was wearing a short sleeve white shirt. 
and he was uh, a young man. She she said, um, she said uh, she didn't seem to know him, and she told me this story because in the 1950s we went back to her her uh, her farm where she w- uh, was raised as a girl, and she saw the same thing again, <laughs> exactly the same. So I would like to suggest to you that maybe what we think of as ghosts are maybe like time shifters. Here's, here's what she saw. She's, she's later on in life, standing on the back porch, the end of a long summer day, and she looks across at the corral, and the gate opens, and a young man in a short sleeve white dress shirt, walks through, latches the gate, takes one step, two steps, and disappears. This time, however, she identifies him. Hmm. Good. It, it is her younger brother. And the reason we're back there at her farm in North Dakota was her, her, her brother had just died. Oh. He died of tuberculosis. And he died shortly after coming out of the Navy, where he was a medic. And he died rather suddenly, didn't know he was so ill. And um, the way he died uh, was he looked exactly at the age she last saw him, as, as he did uh, as the young man who walked through the, uh, the gate. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he she recognized him when she as a girl, she she did not know who that was. At that time, he was her younger brother, a child. Later on, she saw him. He wore a white dress shirt. And that's exactly the way he was laid out out in his coffin. So she said it makes sense now. But here's the thing. My mother felt comfortable telling the story to only me. Her little toddler, her little five-year-old boy, because nobody else wanted to hear this story. It's just too odd. But what I have come to realize or believe is that a lot of people experience things like this, and they consider them to be daydreams, uh, delusions, uh, flights of fancy, and they they don't accept them as real. I think a lot of them are real. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, let's make some conjectures about possible ways people are finding a doorway through time. Why does it happen in some locations instead of others? And what's involved? May it be black holes or energy spots or, or what? That's a really good question because if you if you if you consider uh, the frequency of these time slips, they do seem to happen more in some places than other places. Mm-hmm. I've found that. Well, you know, I, I noticed a lot of them on Mount Hood in Oregon when I lived in Oregon. I mean, I would see um, pioneers from the Oregon Trail resting along the side of the road, and then they'd vanish in front of my eyes. And my neighbors, when I would say, sometimes I almost think I'm seeing pioneers 
you know, pausing along the road in their wagons. And they say, well, we've seen them too, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and I think that, you know, you think of places like, um, um, the Bermuda Triangle, you know, think places like that. Um, I noticed, uh, uh, there were an extensive, uh, log of stories that came out of Liverpool, England. Oh, yeah. And, um, people that just kind of like disappear and reappear in front of people's eyes with strange stories of where they've been in the meanwhile. So I, I think that, yes, there, there, there is something to do with location. I think it has to do with um, energy vortexes or, or ley lines or meridian grids in the earth. Um, I happen to live now uh, in the San Juan Islands off the coast of Washington State. And our little island at the southeast corner has a magnetic disturbance. I'm always wondering if I'm going to sail my little boat and encounter something quite strange because well, it is an odd little place. I but, hope you but, do. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you have to think, too, <laughs> yes. that, that, you know, there are maybe holes in the fabric of our reality. You have to think that maybe we do move as light as energy beings. You do have to think that astral travel happens more often than you think. And you have to think that we, we have the human ability to go outside ordinary space-time. But I also think that when we raise our consciousness and we have the right location, um, whether it's a black hole or singularity or energy vortex, or whether it's a meridian line or a, uh, or a uh, plate shift or a magnetic disturbance, some odd uh, magnetic disturbance in the earth is probably just enough with the consciousness shift for someone to move in and out of time. Consciousness then seems to be the key. Yes, I would say that consciousness is the key. I mean, it, in almost every case I noticed, the people were alone or, or quiet. They were um, kind of inside their own thoughts. They'd kind of like tuned out a lot of heavy, you know, analytical thinking. They were very quiet. They'd gone deep inside themselves. They'd reached the still point inside themselves. And... I think this is where consciousness kind of like leaps out of you when you stop all this kind of brain work and like trying to remember dates and things that you can, you know, what time am I supposed to be at somebody's house? All these things, all this brain work. So I also noticed that these things happen late in the afternoon very often or approaching dusk. And I also noticed that there was a pattern. They would happen in late summer or early fall. And I also noticed that happened. they happen to people when they're all alone. And I'm often questioned by people as to why people seem to be disappearing in parks and, uh, yes, and nature trails. Great. And it seems to me that this could be part of it. I don't know. I don't mm -hmm. know. But I also think it could be an explanation of why people see ghosts. They're not really seeing so much a deceased person, but they're seeing a moment in time because you think about it you know most stories involve um what what is often described as ritualistic 
patterns of behavior of the ghost in question, the spirit in question. So you say, well, ghosts are very ritualistic. They're living out a moment that's important to them. Or are you actually just seeing a moment in time and you're slipping in and slipping out? Are they slipping into your consciousness? Are you slipping into their consciousness? It's an interesting thing. I'll say, I'll say. Well, some detractors might come up with uh, other explanations like implanted memories or hmm? memories of past lives or talk yep. about, would you talk a little bit about those possibilities? Yeah, so I think that the first thing you have to do is you have to think, you know, is there something in your own past memory that would kind of like be an explanation? Are you like reliving something, you know? Are you maybe highly suggestible? Um, is this a memory of your own past life? Are you simply dreaming as this creative imagination? Are you confused? Are you delusional? I think that when you when you begin to sort it out, um, then you come up with some interesting observations. There are a lot of people who seem to have precognition of the future. They often dream dreams of the future, and we call them prophets or visionaries or you know prophetic dreamers. You say, well, they're just dreamers, but then the dreams come true. So this happens a lot. I mean, there's many cases of people having the same kind of dreams of what happens in the future, you know. And then when it comes true, you say, how did they know? How did they know indeed? So I would say, yes, perhaps they walked into the, into the future. So I do include uh, exercise in the book and a consideration for lucid dreaming as a way of actually setting up controlled time shifts. It is a way that you can actually move forward or backward in time. Well, we're going to take a break soon. Um, so I don't want to get into too much detail before okay. we run out of time on it. But, but, but for yourself, over the many experiences you had, is there any one of the, these experiences that you think you have more understanding of than others, or is, uh, do you feel the same about all of them? They're all really strange. I don't know which one. Um, the one that gets me was the one when I was 12 years old, because, you know, it was, it, it's as though I seemed to know what was going to happen. And against all odds, I moved, you know, 20 miles uh, without knowing how to get there. And, and I ended up in front of my front door. And it, it seems implausible. You know? And I've asked my friends, where did you think I, I went when I started walking down the train tracks? And how do you think I got home? They said, well, we just assumed that you just got home. I just like, how did I get home? I mean, it's like I didn't even know the way home. It was so far. How did I get home at a reasonable hour? And then I get like people say, oh, an angel carried you. And I honestly have to say that I, I believe in angels, but I, I don't remember an angel picking me up and carrying me. I do remember taking one step and ending up 20 miles away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'd like to talk about when we come back next hour deals with uh, Albert Einstein. 
who talked a lot about time and quantum theory of time travel, particularly regarding the different speed with which time passes in space and how that plays into the accounts of people having a time shift. Um, I, I think there could possibly be some kind of relationship there. Do you? I do. I do. I, I very much uh, believe in his special theory of relativity. I keep reading it, reading it, reading his essays about it. And I think he really, truly understood it. But the thing people have to remember about uh, uh, Albert Einstein was that he wasn't just a theoretical physicist. He was also a mystic. Yes, he was a mystic. We, we're at a break time, so we'll say goodbye for right now. And we'll be coming back next hour and talk more about Mr. Einstein. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner, or as my daughter used to call her, Lala, Lala Cortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington. Oh, yes, indeed. We're in the hour two with Van Broschler, and the book, of course, is Time Shifts, Experiences of Slipping into the Past and Future, published by our friends at Destiny Books. And you can order the book and find out our guest links on our Facebook page for 21st Century Radio. And again, we suggest you never miss a show and subscribe and share 21st Century Radio on YouTube and because we have our own movies on YouTube. And pretty soon, the Internet will be the best place to listen to 21st Century Radio. So make sure you follow us on Facebook and YouTube now. And welcome back, Von Frashler. How you doing? Thank you, Bob. Is your pitching arm all right? Well, sure. (laughs) Your curveball's still pretty good, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I watched I watched my uh, my Washington Husky softball team go down to defeat yesterday. Oh no! Well, it happens, oh, right? Oh no! Yeah. Oh, I love softball. I've always liked it much more than baseball. Uh, oh but, yeah. But what are we? We're not. We can't talk about stuff like that right now. No. So no. <laughs> let's let's go to Einstein. We were starting to talk about Einstein here. Um, There's a soft pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Einstein. Well, interesting, interesting parallels between Einstein's theory and how he arrived at it, I think, and uh, some very occult writing, very ancient occult writing. Now, the reason I say this, and I'm, I'm a theosophist and I have been all my life, I know that, to my knowledge, Professor Einstein was not. However, when he died, beside his desk was a well-worn copy of Helena Blavatsky's theosophical classic, The Secret Doctrine, and in his own handwriting, a lot of marginal notes. And this book was discovered by his niece when he died, Whoa. and she contacted the theosophical uh, I believe the office in, um, I think she uh, tried Cretona first. And anyway, it's now, it's now at headquarters. And she said, well, my, my uncle, when he died, he had a copy of The Secret Doctrine. That's one of your books, right? I wondered if you wanted it back. He said, well, yeah, sure. I mean, we have a lot of copies. He said, well, maybe you've heard of my 
uncle, he was um, Albert Einstein, and said he had a copy of the book. Said yes, and he wrote in the margin. Does does that bother you? And said no, no, it doesn't bother us. So it's now kind of like kind of under glass, but you could go to the international headquarters. They have it. So here's the thing, you know, um, if you look at the secret doctrine, it was based on very esoteric teachings of a very ancient uh, book called the Golden Precepts. And it was written in Senzar, which is a pictorial language, uh, an ancient language said to be the language of angels. Um, the, a book that might interest you also, based on this, is the book of Dizan. So the stanzas of Dizan are what Blavatsky based a lot of her writings on. Anyway, to the point, Blavatsky talked about consciousness, universal consciousness, as being energy, uh, intelligent energy that, design, that, that descends from the heavens above and drives and sustains all of life from the greatest galaxies to the smallest atoms. And if you look at Einstein's writing, he talks about light. He sure does, yeah. He talks about light. Well, she often uses light and, and consciousness interchangeably yeah. and noting that when consciousness descends to the earth, it is seen as light and it continues until it reaches where it, it continues endlessly, basically. She says until it reaches its target. Um, and... Einstein, you know, he based a lot of what he wrote on the uh, radiation field theory of um, Faraday, Michael Faraday, and and James Maxwell, and so we we we're left with kind of a picture of light or consciousness as being the kind of the universal. Um, I think I think Blavatsky, if she were here today, she might confess that she's talking about ultimate reality. She, she was very coy about writing about ultimate reality. She said that ultimate reality could never really be explained or understood, but it was the driving force in, that all life has in common. It sustains life, it drives life, it maintains life. You know, it is the Shakti and um, uh, quality uh, of life. So I think that I think that they were of, of one mind, but they were using very different means to explain a similar thing. That reality is really quite complex. It is multi-layered. We perceive just a little bit of it. We perceive just what we see. Einstein talked about the, um, the observer, the, the impact of the observer, and and where and, and he said that we all we all seem to experience time differently mm -hmm. individually you know that I, he had a lot of cute ways of explaining this one of my favorites and you have to think like 1950s common expressions he said well a man who's sitting on a hot stove does not experience time the same as a man who's looking at Marilyn Monroe <laughs> <laughs> How can he possibly said, say something like that? I said, I love this scientist. <laughs> he gets it. He, he gets it. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, we all do experience time 
differently, you know, but it's the way we choose to perceive things is it's, it's important. Now, mostly what we perceive is, of course, based on our five physical, physical senses. And we're limited by the fact that we live in what we see as a three-dimensional universe. This is all we see, you know. Spensky said, oh, my goodness. You know, it's like, it's like Plato's allegory of the cave. You cannot see outside of where you are. You're, you're all boxed in. So in the case of Spensky, uh, a, a colleague of Gurdjieff, he said, well, you know, you, we live in these little boxes, you know, and we're all, you know, he didn't use the expression, but I'll use it, boxed in. You know, there are no windows. There, are, there, there is very poor uh, acoustics. We cannot discern what is above us, below us, or outside the walls. But we hear things. <laughs> so we just kind of dismiss them because we have no idea what they are. Uh, but how would you get outside the wall? How would you get outside your three-dimensional orientation of up, down, and sideways? How would you get beyond your five physical senses? You'd you'd have to think outside the box. You'd have to kind of... He said you'd meditate. You'd oh, get into yes. a higher consciousness state, mm -hmm. and you'd leave the box, you see, into consciousness. And he said meditation is the only way to go outside of our limitations. So he's talking about a different kind of perception. He was talking about uh, awareness, a deeper sort of consciousness. This is this is replacing your five physical senses. This is your the, the awareness you have, often in a lucid dream. People will experience a lucid dream where where colors are different and 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 and, and they and they perceive things very differently because they're not they don't have their eyes. You know, in the Bible, Old and New Testament, we see time and again, you know, you know, see with new eyes, hear with new ears. And I would suggest to people that we all need to hear with new ears and see with new eyes. There is more to reality than is on the surface. And we live on the surface. What's left of the surface. Yeah, yeah what's left of the surface. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, but I had to put that in there. Uh, yes. Well, you say that many people probably have experienced little shifts in time without fully realizing it. How can that be? Yeah, I think that I think what happens is 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 they're they're not able to to uh, to analyze it because it's so far outside of our cultural understanding. We don't recognize it as 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 people. It's not discussed. In polite society, um, it is outside of one's own frame of reference. So there's really no way to analyze it. So since we can't analyze it, as we like to do with our little brains that measure everything, you know, 12 inches to a foot, we just simply dismiss it. It never really, it didn't happen. You know, this never happened. We were never here, right? Mm -hmm. And I think this happens time and again. So one thing I try to do in, in, in the book is to encourage people to uh, open themselves up to the possibility that there's more out there and, and to consider that maybe many of us have, have had little time slips 
uh, where you close your eyes and just for a moment, just for a moment, you seem to be somewhere else. You're in a different time and place. Now, of course, if this is something in your your physical memory, in your the memory stored in your your brain, that's one thing. You know, if it's something you read about or a movie you saw, or a documentary, or a magazine, or something someone told you and you have a mental image of it, that's one thing. But if it's completely outside that a normal frame of reference, then you have to, by elimination, as uh, Sir uh, uh, Conan Doyle would say, you have to say then it has to be the other. It has to be another explanation because you've exhausted all the explanations. So I, I, I think that when we travel in our dreams, we're very often, for instance, traveling in a consciousness body. Now, sometimes we're just kind of like flipping around uh, with memories in, stored in our brains, and that's a fitful dream. That is a normal, common dream. But when you have a very lucid, very vivid dream, very colorful, very memorable dream of insight where you, where you wake up at the start and you say, oh my goodness, you know, just possibly if you could eliminate that this never really happened in your lifetime, you never saw it in a movie, never saw it in a picture, maybe, maybe, maybe you were actually going into the distant past or into the future. And I think a lot of people do. Uh, well, what happens if you look for patterns? Uh, what do these personal experiences seem to have in common? Yeah, I mean, what they have in common is that uh, they will have been very quiet. Uh, they will have had a consciousness shift. I think this is the key thing, a consciousness shift. And it it it, it often happens when you you actually kind of suspend normal analytical thinking and you're like you're just kind of like opening yourself up and i think at those moments the spirit within you just goes goes for it it wants to be free so i think that you know there are moments where there's a breakout and the spirit within you just kind of like wants to go wants to grow wants to explore wants to see more and I think this happens uh, to a lot of us, and and I think that I think that you can actually set this up. And and what I always think is important is you've got to um, you've you've got to you've got to set it up where you're not using words, but you're just you're forming pictures of where you want to go. Oh yes, pictures, pictures. So I never encourage anyone to set up a lucid dream or or or. A meditation where they're going to try to go and see something without setting up a picture. If you start, if you start focusing on words, you know, it, it's something else. It's really something else. Um, you get you get stuck into a into a, a loop, kind of a mental loop, where your your brain is just grinding away at something. Like think of like some old adding machine that just can't get past equation. Some problem that was put into the machine it's grinding and grinding and grinding trying to come up with an answer and that's the way we often have our fitful dreams during restless nights of sleep but there, there there's a way to actually set up um, a, a, um, a time shift that would reliably give you the opportunity 
to go forward or backward in time, either your time or anyone's time. And you think of like what shamans have done, and you think of like mystics, what mystics have done, and yoga masters and bodhisattvas and, and samadhi mystics, and so many Native American skinwalkers, dreamwalkers, they, they, they go into an induced trance where they just, the body goes numb and they picture where they want to go and what they want to see and what they want to learn. And boom, they're gone. They're, they're really, really gone. You know, I, I, in an earlier book, um, I examined what happened during the great, what was it, tsunami that hit southern India and Indonesia a few years ago. And there were a lot of Samadhi students, Shalas, that were in their kind of like early stage of, of training, which was induced dreaming. And they would learn to transcend time and space by entering, entering into what we might call lucid dreams. Well, well, we, need, we need to transform a little of that space right now for a, another break here on 21st Century Radio. All right, now where in the world were we now? We were in Venezuela, I think. Oh, Venezuela. We were in southern India. So oh, southern India. That's right. Tsunami. Yeah. Okay. The, the interesting thing about this was the the, the young uh, Samadhi students, they were in, in a deep dream state, uh, and they worried about whether they could move them or what to do, how to disturb them. Because normally when you set someone up in a deep meditation or, or a lucid dream or something like this, you would not want to disturb them. You want to give them a peaceful, quiet, secluded place where they're protected. And they decided they had to move them. <laughs> and there was no question. There was a tsunami. So they picked them up and they quietly moved them, carefully as they could. And they noticed that even moving them, they didn't wake up. And on average, they would stay in this trance experience experiencing shifts in time and space for three days. Oh. Three, now, now I, 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 I bring this up because Samadhi mysticism is really based on Raja Yoga, which is the study of higher consciousness. It is, some people say, the highest form of yoga. It is really what, um, what we're talking about here. It's, it's really what Madame Blavatsky was writing about and when she was writing about consciousness. So I think that if you really wanted to understand time shifting, you would study um, you would study uh, Raja Yoga, and 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 the effects of consciousness training. So I mean, most of the exercises I put in the book are really just taken and and kind of simplified from the um, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. Oh, you have so many good ones back here. I really wish we had time to go through a couple of them, uh, like f such as the ones dealing with uh, visiting your parents, yeah, uh, from and and of course uh, visiting your former teachers. Uh, th these things uh, are really revealing, as far as I'm concerned, and reaching your ideal healing place, etc. All of these. Would you like to go into any of these first? Well, well I, I just like to say something about it. You know, if this sounds odd to you, think of how psychologists and psychiatrists will often have therapy. They'll have people 
typically reclining on a sofa, right? Right. And they'll ask you to go back, back, back to your earliest memories. So they would go back to when they were a child, and they would like, they would try to heal the inner child, we might say. They would say, put your arm around that child, try to understand the child, try to understand how you became the person you are today, you know. And, and, and forgive that child for any problems it had way back then. It was just a child. Well, so when I, when I worked at um, a publisher uh, years ago, uh, we had an interesting author come through who was a retired psychologist named um, um, Michael Newton. And he wrote three wonderful books. The first one I'd worked on was called A Journey of Souls. And all he asked people was, go back as far as you can. He did not say, go back to when you were a child. Go back to your earliest memories as a child. He said, go back as far as you can. And they went back into previous lives. So I think that we have this ability. You know, I think there's a part of us, our inner consciousness, if you will, our soul, our spirit, our divine life force. Our, our inner being, our higher self, however you want to look at it, there's a part of us that's inside of us that knows so much more <laughs> than, than you've been able to put into your little brain. Yeah. And, 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 and it, it knows this. It knows where you've been. It knows where you're going. It, and and it, um, it longs to explore. And I think to hold it back... You know, uh, into like this. No, this is the only spot on the the planet we can be. This is the only time we can see. This is kind of a limitation. So, so I I did take a lot of liberty from uh, taking uh, the sutras from the 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 Yoga Sutra, but the Yoga Sutra is a wonderful book, and it's in many many translations, and there are many good ones and many books that are commentaries on the Yoga Sutras. And it is a classic. It, it is centuries old. And it, it, it outlines basically yoga as union with the divine in the beginning. And then it takes you beyond where most people don't go into mysticism. And then it takes you ultimately where we're discussing today, which is the magic and discovering more, you know, realities underlying realities this is really what the yoga sutras offer so if you don't read my book please read the yoga sutras of patanjali it will change your life well thank you for that and you show models from both the east and west of people who seem able to set up time ships and who are who are they and are they what and what do they do to do that? Well, people forget what mystics we had living here when we wandered over here, you know, in the early, early days of colonization and westward exploration. These were the shamanic peoples who lived here, and, and not only in North America, but shamanic people around the world have a long history of, of, of um, going into... Uh, trance-like states, that is to say their shamanic leader, their spiritual leader, and de determining what lies ahead for his people. 
I say his because they were typically men. Mm-hmm. And and what what is in the past? They would speak. They would say, I, "I've spoken. I visited with the ancestors." You know, and this is not often. This is not typically a conversation, but they would go there and observe what the what the ancestors seemed to say. So it is a case of going as a an observer. And so, in the same way that the the shamans would go into the future to see what lies ahead for his people. And a lot of this isn't personal. You know, it's just like, you know, there would be, of course, the vision quest of what lies ahead for me. Yes, that would be another example of it. But I'm talking about the shamanic trances that they would go through. Now, in the East, we see this in many traditions, the Hindu and and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 Buddhism as well. You'd see the bodhisattvas, you'd see the the yogas, yogis, you'd see the samadhi mystics. They would go into, very similar to the shamans, they would go into a deep... um, trance they would induce a trance and and a trance like state where they would tune out everything around them they would tune out all the distractions within them they would cease all thoughts and they would go deep within them and they would they would they would go somewhere now how do you go somewhere i mean i People say, how do you get there? I say, well, every time you go for a major trip in your life, haven't you packed for the journey? So I say, you, you need a map. <laughs> you need a map. And, and you need to be prepared, right? And you need to have the right attitude go, going forward. So this, is, this just doesn't happen accidentally. You've actually, you actually have to paint a picture uh, in, in in your mind's eye of where you want to go, what you want to see, what you want to learn, and how you paint the picture or draw it or however you use a, a brush or a, or a pencil or whatever, you know, etch a sketch. It doesn't matter. It's, it can be a stick drawing. It is your map. And some of the best maps, you know, are written on the back backs of napkins so let's <laughs> let's not criticize the map let's just say you need a map and then once you have the map you you bring up the map and you go to it and and to go to it you have to give your yourself permission to leave the body and in order to do that you have to have the body the physical part of you including your your brain um realizing that it's going to be safe and and restful and and nothing will happen to it and you're going to it's going you are going to return your consciousness to your body in due time once once you reach this inner harmony of body mind and spirit it is possible in a lucid dream or a meditation to leave the body and experience time shifts but you need after all a good map now one of my first teachers told me it's very simple bond he said I want to tell you three things. He says, first you conceive, then you believe, and then you achieve. And it's like, I'm going to suggest to you that that is simply another way of saying thought, action, deed. Mm-hmm. If, you, mm-hmm. if you can think of it, if you can believe it, that's the thing. See, Then it becomes part of your construct. 
and then you can actually you can actually see it happening. Now, your consciousness can take you anywhere. It can go anywhere and see anything, but only if you allow it to do this. You know, if you want to be in the cave and worry about all those animals at the end of the cave or sit in Ospensky's little apartment and worry about what's outside in the street, you know, what disasters await you, that's your choosing. But, you know, you don't have to be that isolated. So I think that a lot of people... They, they look at like these time slips that happen so accidentally to people as being awkward or uncomfortable mm-hmm. or a, 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 a lack of control. It, but it is actually an amount of control that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. But what would be some of the practical benefits of experiencing time shifts? Well, I think that, you know, this might not be totally obvious, but I used to do a workshop on how to find lost keys and lost glasses and lost wallets. You know, and it's like, oh, I would suggest to you that if you want to know where things are in the past, you go in the past. You want to know where things are in the future so you can go find them. You think of them in the future. So this is now how I suggest that people look for lost keys or lost glasses. You picture them, and then you allow yourself in consciousness to go there, and you can see where it was when you lost it, or where it will be in the future when you can meet up with it. But, but, but other than that, I mean, that might seem trivial in a way, or finding lost people, or lost objects, or lost pets. I think that's a good use of it time sure shifting. is. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. yes I think it's very good. And I think that a lot of psychics do this, and they do it for the for all the right reasons for the police force, right, to find people that are lost. But but I also think that people need to really do what psychologists always advocate, and that is going deep, deep into the past to find out where you are, how you got here. You know, our life mission, our life destiny is a long, long path. It isn't going to be just like 80, 90 years. It's going to be forever, folks. And it's like, get used to it, because time is looped. It never ends. It keeps going and going and going and going. And the real inside you, the real core of your being is pure energy. It will never die, folks. And so here, here's, here's my little plug. It's like start thinking about how you got to where you are and where you really want to go. There's a part of you that knows this. In, in, in Hindu philosophy, they call this the inner self, the true self, the higher self. And I think this is... This is important to know the spirit within you, as they might say in shamanic traditions. It is important to know that there is a part of you that is eternal. And this is the light within you. So I think that you, you can use these exercises to go into your distant past. Explore your past lives. Analyze them. And, and, and look, look at what lies ahead. This is important, you know. I'll it say. is your life destiny. It is the the hero's journey within you. Oh, it is yes. your own personal hero's journey. Well, our hero's journey now indicates that we have to take another break here on 21st Century Radio because that's the way radio is. When is a dream more than a dream? Yes, I, I, I like that question. Anyway, when a dream is more than a dream, most most dream research looks at what I would call common dreams of a normal sleep pattern. 
It looks at REM, rapid eye movement. It looks at when you dream. And it, it is predictable based on, on physiological changes. And it, 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 these, are, these are really memories. These are really memories that are stored in that pocket calculator we call our physical brain. Uh, these are, you know, fitful dreams. These are questions that we haven't been able to resolve during the the day. They're concerns about what happened in the past and what might happen in the future. Things that we really can't uh, can't resolve in our waking times. So we 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 put them on a back burner, and lo and behold, they they start to percolate at night. So so. Then I think that there is another kind of a dream, which is rarely researched in the same way, at least by dream researchers, and it is the lucid dream. This is the dream that is a really impactful, insightful dream. These are the dreams where we talk about dreamers, you know, uh, who have prophetic dreams or insightful dreams or dreams of great uh, discovery. Um Dreams of recognition. Um, they they very often will take us deep into our past, deep deep into our past, or deep into the future. They could be personal. They could be just kind of general cultural wanderings. But these are these are a different kind of a dream. So, I think when we normally talk about dreamers, we say, well, people that are kind of wistful and kind of. Uh, maybe superficial, you know, we, we, we tend to kind of uh, put these people off as, as, as not really deep uh, thinkers. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think we have to think of like the, the lucid dream, something else quite again, and how to program it. Now, there's been a lot written about lucid dreaming. I understand that, and, and programming lucid dreaming, and the importance of lucid dreaming and what you might expect in the dreamscape as a lucid dreamer. but And I think that you have to use it as a tool, a way that a lot of people can begin to have controlled time shifts where they actually can go deep into their past or deep into the future, if you will. Or you can just go into, like, tomorrow if you want, you know. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it is, it is, it is programming a dream. Now... You have to think that in, in ancient times, they really respected dreams, not only prophetic dreams, but they thought that everybody got closer to divinity and the source of, of reality through their dreams. In fact, in 2,000 years ago in ancient Egypt, they had dream temples where they would induce dreams. They oh, would have attendance at these dream temples. They would actually assist you in, in dreaming, and they would provide a perfect environment for you to have a dream of discovery and insight. And we need to get to that kind of position again, where we treat the dream as, as, as a great dream of uh, a, a great journey of discovery and insight. And I would suggest that it's a way to explore your past or your future as well. Well, is there a downside to experiencing time shifts? Um, I don't think so, I, you know, because as 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 any any person who goes outside of the body, let's say, you know, mm-hmm. in an energy body, you, you you have the sensation that you can just think back to your physical grounding 
and you instantly return. And, and this is like karmic, uh, karmic attraction. It is, it is uh, an electromagnetic connection you have of you to you, you know. And it's incidentally why you can always go and find yourself in the past or yourself in the future. It's a karmic attraction. It is an electromagnetic attraction, like two ends of a magnet. You can always find you. And once you're there, you can always come back to your, your sleeping self or your meditating self. Boy, what I have learned so much from your book, and you have you have an, you're getting ready to publish another book. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm going to stick with consciousness. <laughs> this is this is all I really care about, Bob. So well, I think I a, well, I think that's all we should care about is consciousness. It amen, is, amen. Brother. It is the key. So, so I mean, I have a book coming out in July from uh, Schiffer. It's going to be called uh, Manifesting. And this is using consciousness, using thought forms, using our thought forms to to uh, uh, to manifest uh, to um, new reality. You know, mm -hmm. it's actually creating. And so this is kind of a, a another take on what people often call creative visualization. But it examines the impact of targeted focused thought forms. And so then I, I look at this also in November with a book coming out called Mysterious Messages from Beyond, which is hearing, hearing thought forms that are projected at you. I mean, most people say, like, God never talks to me, or I don't have a, a connection with an angel. Well, are you listening? Mm-hmm. I'm listening. <laughs> Indeed. <Thank> you. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, look for it's them. It's important to listen, you know, and it's like, oh, people say, oh, you know, I never have anybody t telling me anything insightful. I hear all these people, they're getting direction from above, and not me, not me. So it's like, how do you learn to listen? So we have to learn, I think, to understand how thought forms work, how they're projected. They're 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 individual. And there's also group thought forms. Oh, group thought forms! Boy, I wish we had some time on that. Well, look, we'll have to cover those kind of things when your book comes out in July, and then you have one in November. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Do you ever sit down and do nothing? No, no. In fact, I haven't <laughs> written anything for five months, so I'm just itching to start something. Oh well, yeah. Well, that's something else. That's something else when you when you get going all over again. Uh, I'll tell you what, because we we worked on this uh, Yellow Submarine book, book two, and after we finished uh, 460 pages of book one, we added another 380 or something like that in book two, and I got to tell you. Uh, it's, I'm still living in that at this particular time. Yeah, I, I have a, I have a Beatles, Beatles story that's in the mysterious messages from beyond. Oh, um, really? You should have, yeah. you should have oh, yeah. told us it. Tell us quick. Oh, tell it quick. Okay. So the Beatles be... got together after John died and, and they, they recorded together and, and out of, out of a speaker that was disconnected, it was, they, they heard the, the voice of John Lennon saying something like, whoa, that was great. Oh, <laughs> that was great, lads, or something. I forget exactly what it was. But the, all the three Beatles say they heard that, and they said, oh, that was John. <laughs> now, that was a speaker that was disconnected. So in the early days of telephones, there were a lot of people that would get what were called spirit communications. 
You got one, and, got a quick one you can tell us before we? Oh, oh well, yeah, the, the, the spirit communications. So even even Bell and even Edison, they they wanted to manufacture, and some people did manufacture what they called spirit phones. And these were phones that you'd you'd not use to call your aunt Martha. These were phones you'd use to get calls to from the dead. You Whoa. See? <laughs> yeah, and, and so what, what got them going on this was that when they got the phone going, people started getting calls from beyond, and they were saying like, whoa, you know, this person is not in our phone exchange. Remember in the early days, you know, you dial 12, and that would be your, you know, your, your brother-in-law, and 13 would be somebody across the street. Well, they would not be in your phone exchange, but they were getting these calls, and then they started re- reporting spirit communication from people who weren't even, uh, their phones weren't even connected. They were disconnected phones. And in other words, there were phones that weren't plugged in. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yep. <laughs> That's got, that'll shake you up a lot. Uh, yeah. uh, and and there, there was a lot of that going on. And I don't, yeah. I don't know exactly the reason for all of that. But it was really something that uh, surprised the heck out of me. What to you would be the most outlandish area of research that super important? Both my pay grade, Dr. Bob. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I only know what the boys upstairs tell me, and, and, I, and I dream most of it. So, <laughs> You have lots of dreams. I have a lot of dreams, and in my dreams, sometimes I get dictation. So, I mean, I, I don't like to talk about that because I was trained by one of my teachers never to talk about where you get your ideas from, oh, you know, yeah. and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, 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 we're not channeling. Not saying I'm channeling, but it's like I wake up and I have ideas. Don't w- know where they come from. But um, maybe I'm wandering. Maybe my spirit wanders and I'm wandering through something, you know, uh, wandering through the Akashic Records. Oh, what a place to wander. Yes. If you could stay conscious as you move into it, <laughs> what, what you could learn. Jeez, who is? <laughs> yeah, but, but I think my, my library card there is expired, so I need Uh-oh. to. Uh-oh. Well, I'll get you another one. I, thank you. I, I know a guy. Excellent. <laughs> I know a guy who can get it for you. Look, thank you for joining us, Von Brester. We have had a, a hell of a good time. I've learned so much from you, and I greatly appreciate it. Look forward to your joining us again in the future. Thank you, Dr. Bob. I loved it. But make thank sure you. you get a haircut. Yes, sir. No. <laughs> <laughs> right away. All right. <laughs>